0: Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are Christians. We bear the name of Christ. And that uh, means so much for our lives every day. It means so much for, it infuses all that we do, say, and think. What's at the heart of being a Christian? There's many things we could say to be a Christian is to be someone who believes in Jesus Christ for salvation. And that is certainly true. That is at the heart of it as well. It's, to be a Christian is to be someone who is a, a child of God through Christ Jesus. And that's amazing as well, very central to the Christian faith. And to be a Christian is also someone in light of those things who seeks to obey God, follow His law, to His glory. that is indeed central to being a Christian. Perhaps there's something even more central to being a Christian. I would suggest to you that it's found right here in Lord's Day 12. Lord's Day 12 describes so much of what it means to be a Christian. We are prophets, priests, and kings in the service of God. Think of that name, Christian, for a moment. It's it's the name that describes who we are. It's a name which places our identity firmly in Jesus Christ. And Christ, of course, means anointed one. He was appointed by God to be the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit to fulfill those offices perfectly. We are called Christians. We are anointed ones in Christ Jesus. We share in the anointing of Jesus Christ. In Christ, God has appointed us also to these offices. As the Lord's Day 12 says, we are members of Christ by faith. That means we are united to Christ By faith, we are part of His body, and because of that, we share in His anointing. And so, all of us who believe in Christ, we are prophets, priests, and kings. That is who you are, and that is also your calling. This is what it means to be a Christian. It describes so much of what being a Christian is about That's what we're going to look at this afternoon. So that brings us to the sermon theme. God has anointed us to be prophets, priests, and kings in Jesus Christ. And we'll look at, first of all, speaking as prophets, and secondly, serving as priests and kings. So in this first point, we're going to be focusing mainly on the office of prophet. These offices, including the office of prophet, is something that God places on you. it's his decision. He calls you, He appoints you to his servants. And this is what we see in Scripture with all the prophets that God raised up. He called them, He chose them, He appointed them to his service. And this was certainly true of, of Jeremiah as well. We read from the book of Jeremiah. We could have read more from Jeremiah. We can see that God chose him and appointed him to be a prophet. In fact, Jeremiah describes his call by God in uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, right at the very beginning of his book. There we read, uh, Jeremiah says, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So, Jeremiah wasn't his decision. It was the decision of God. And now Jeremiah had to be faithful to his calling to the appointment to this office. The same is true also of Jesus Christ. Yes, he's the divine Son of God, but he is also a true man, the office of prophet was placed on him by God the Father. It's not something he just decided to do one day. God appointed him to this task. Now, Christ had to fulfill his calling faithfully. But he did it willingly, of course, because he loved his Father and wanted to serve him. Now, again, the office of prophet is something that has been placed on you also by God. Indeed, we can say it with Jeremiah, before God formed us in the womb, He knew us, that is, He foreordained that we should believe and enter His service. Before we were already born, He consecrated us, He prepared us to be prophets, to appoint us to this calling. We are believers in our Lord Jesus Christ by God's predestining love. And with that gift of faith that he gives us also comes the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So again, God appointed you to this office even before you knew what a prophet was. It's a calling. God calls you to fulfill this office faithfully, just as Jeremiah had to fulfill it faithfully. Well, There are a number of things that come with this calling. First, speaking as a prophet of the Lord is going to make our identity plain. Prophets are not meant to speak to themselves in a closed room. Prophets do not fulfill their office by speaking only to God, although we certainly do speak to our God in prayer. But prophets fulfill their office by speaking to other people. God sends out prophets to speak to people who need to hear His Word. And when you do this, when you speak God's Word to people who need to hear His Word, it's going to reveal your identity as a Christian, someone who follows the Word of God. It can be tempting at times to hide your identity away, your identity as a Christian. Identifying with Christ and God's word can can make life difficult at times. It's the reality of this sinful world. And we may want to, we might be tempted to keep our identity under wraps. And the easiest way to do this is by avoiding speaking about God and and His Word and about Jesus Christ. That's the temptation. But if we are faithful prophets, keeping our identity under wraps becomes impossible. We are Christians, God's anointed prophets. And so we confess the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, speaking as prophets can be difficult, and one person who knew this all too well was the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 1, he, he already, when, when the word of the Lord came to him, appointed him to uh, this office, uh, Jeremiah expressed his reservations to God. He said, "'Ah, Lord God, behold, I do, do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth.'" And later on in Jeremiah 20, we see more struggles. Again, when Pashur the priest, heard Jeremiah prophesying, what did he do? He beat him, and he put him in stocks, locking him up. And once he was released, what did Jeremiah have to do? He had to speak to Pashur again, more uh, word of the Lord. And Jeremiah expressed his sorrow soon afterwards, saying to God, O oh Lord, you are stronger than I, and you have prevailed I become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. Jeremiah spoke the word of the Lord. He spoke the word of God and he suffered for it. So much so that Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And the same is true of many other prophets of God. Think only of John the Baptist. He firmly and resolutely spoke the word of God. He even spoke to one of the Herods, declaring to him that his his relationship uh, with someone else was adulterous, who was sinful, ended up costing John the Baptist his life. And then there's, of course, Jesus Christ our chief prophet and teacher, listen to the words of Christ. No one spoke the word of God like Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate prophet of God, and he spoke God's word to anyone. He resolutely spoke God's word, no matter what the cost. Didn't matter who they were, didn't matter how much power they had, didn't matter what social standing they had, he spoke the word of God. And even his own opponents acknowledged this. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees sent some of their disciples to Jesus, and they said, "Teacher, we know that you are a true, that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. You do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances." Now, they were using flattery, of course. They were trying to trap the Lord Jesus. But still, what they said was true. Uh, You do not care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances. Jesus spoke the truth of God's Word. He did not care what people thought of Him. He came to speak the Word of God. And it was precisely because He did this that it cost Him his life, how often was it not his teaching? The Pharisees rea- reacted to strongly, got him into trouble with them. Eventually, they crucified him because he spoke the word of God. Well, we must understand yes, trouble may come to us too when we speak as God's prophets. Christ, our chief prophet, said in John 15. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. What happened to Jeremiah, to John the Baptist, and Jesus could happen to us as well. That is a reality. But yet, speak the word of God. We must. Prophets speak. God calls us to do it. Faithfulness requires speaking. And we can't do this in our own strength, of course. We may fail many times. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can and we will speak. Well, Jeremiah, he certainly struggled this way. right? Think of what we read in Jeremiah 20. He was reluctant at times to speak the word of God. He cried out to God because of the difficulties that came with being faithful as a prophet. But he also confessed, If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary with holding it in and I cannot... He could not remain silent. He had to speak God's word. We may confess the name, may we confess the name of Christ in the same way. We are Christians. This is our identity. God is our God. He has given us His word. We are children of God. We are united to Jesus Christ by faith. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the book of truth. And so may we speak God's word with conviction. And we speak it in love. And may we speak it faithfully. Well, that may be hard, but again, the power to do this does not come from yourself, it comes from the Lord. God empowers us to speak his word. When Jeremiah showed reluctance at first. He said, "Oh Lord, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a young, a young man. But what did the Lord say to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1? Do not say I'm only a youth. For to, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. and Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you. The Lord. And then the Lord put out his hand, and he touched Jeremiah's mouth, and he said to Jeremiah the prophet, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. God empowered Jeremiah to speak on his behalf. And if God did that for Jeremiah, then we can trust. That he will enable us to speak as well, to speak what we need to speak according to God's word. You know, God has appointed to us to His service; He calls us to this task. We can't ignore our calling, but God does not send us away without His equipping power. And He will grant us His Holy Spirit to do this more and more. So we pray to Him, Father. Help me to fulfill my office as prophet. And there is blessing in this as well. There's blessing that comes, not only difficulty, but blessing that comes as speaking God's word. Think of Jesus Christ, our chief prophet and teacher. He proclaimed to us the very way of salvation. Now, by his words today, we hear we are immensely blessed Through the words our prophet uh, Jesus Christ spoke. Think only of those well-known words in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Those are the words of our prophet Jesus Christ. How many people have been blessed by those words that he spoke? Probably cannot number them all. And if Christ did not speak as prophet, we would be missing so much. But here we have it, access to it every day. And when we speak and confess the name of Christ, we can bless others the same way. People find out about Christ through people speaking to them, through us speaking to them. People find out about salvation and about God through people telling others, hey, look at this. This is the word of God. Now, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. This is the way to be saved. Look to the cross and believe in Jesus. You know the other day, I had when it, after it snowed, I had one of my neighbors came over and he, uh, yeah, he was very generous and he used his snowblower to uh, blow my driveway. I didn't, I didn't have a snowblower, just a shovel. He said to me, he's like, I figured it, it gets me closer to heaven, that much more closer to heaven. I did to tell him, sorry, it's not how it works. You need to believe in Jesus. It's true. We need to tell others about the way of salvation because we don't know it on our own. Those people who do not know Christ don't know it on their own. We need to tell them. Let us confess jesus as lord always that brings us to our second point so in our second point we'll be looking at the offices of priest and king you might be wondering why i'm combining them into one point they're two different offices well i'm doing that because of our reading from jeremiah 33 and that passage it closely intertwines these two offices and we see that in the person and work of christ also His office of priest and king are closely intertwined. So let's dig into Jeremiah 33. There's a lot here. In this passage, the Lord promises to give his people a king. This king will be from the line of David, this king will uh, be just, he will do what is right. And we hear that promise in verse 14 and 15. Or it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So this king would not only fulfill God's promises to Israel and Judah, he would also fulfill God's promise to David. See, the Lord had made a covenant with David. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 7. He promised that one of his offspring would sit on his throne forever. We sang about that in Psalm 89. And God not only promised to establish David's kingship, he promised to maintain also the office of priests for the Levites. As the Lord says in Jeremiah 33, the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices forever. And listen to how committed God was to fulfilling these promises that the kingship of David would endure, that there would always be a priest. We read there a promise from God Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then my covenant with David might be broken. My covenant with the the Levitical priests, my ministers. And so God is saying here, do you trust that the sun will rise tomorrow? Well, yes, we do. Then trust also my promises concerning the kingship and the priesthood. I've promised that these things will happen. They're sure as the sun will rise tomorrow. That's how sure they are. He will faithfully do it. And notice how David's promised son is described here as well. God promised to cause a righteous branch to spring from, for David. One who would execute justice and righteousness in the land. And this was a vital part of God's promise to David. David's son would reign on David's throne forever. Only if he was a righteous king only if he obeyed God's commandments. And he had to obey God's commandments continually for the promise to come true. And despite the many failures in David's sons, God promised to still make this a reality. Of course, he would make it a reality in Jesus Christ, who is the king who fulfilled all righteousness. He is the righteous branch God caused to spring up from David's line. And listen to how Jeremiah 33 describes the significance, the benefit for us, God's people. There it reads, In the days of that righteous king, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is Our righteousness. Jesus Christ is the righteous king, the perfectly righteous king, and he, that king, is our righteousness before God. You know, often I try not to get into the finer points of theology, the sermon. I don't want the message to go over anyone's head, However, this afternoon, I'd like to point out one thing I think worth mentioning has to do with the matter of justification. Justification is all about how God declares us righteous before Him through the work of Christ. In Christ, we're declared not guilty. We're declared righteous before God's throne. Now, when we talk about that work of Christ for our justification, sometimes theologians speak about Christ's passive obedience And his act of obedience, let me define those terms. Christ's passive obedience refers to Christ's sufferings. His suffering, God's punishment upon sin for us. And Christ's act of obedience refers to Jesus fulfilling the law of God. So that Jesus' perfect righteousness, his perfect law-keeping, might be credited to our account. And I would suggest, based on Jeremiah 33 and other passages of Scripture, there's a kingly role to Christ's active obedience, his positive fulfillment of the law of God. Think of the Old Testament kings. So much of the reign was concerned with keeping the law. The book of Kings always introduces a king as one who did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord or or as one who did what was right or righteous in the eyes of the Lord. Well, Christ, the King, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he did it all the time. The only king to ever do this. He did everything God called a good king to do. He kept himself from idolatry, serving the Lord he served the Lord all his days, no matter what. He helped the poor and needy, the oppressed. He fulfilled the law of love. And in this way, Christ fulfilled God's promise to David. And he is also our righteousness before God. He's our king, and he is our righteousness. And although we need to be careful about making firm conclusions it's similar way, in a similar way, there seems to be a connection between Christ's passive obedience, his suffering to pay for sins, and the fulfillment of his office of priest. The Old Testament priests were concerned with sacrifices. They were concerned with making atonement for sin. This is what Christ, our high priest, did. He sacrificed himself in all his sufferings, especially on the cross. He suffered the curse of the law for us and in our place by his suffering and sacrifice. And Because of that suffering for sin, our sins could be paid for by our great high priest, Jesus Christ. All of them. So because of this twofold work of Christ as priest and king working together we are perfectly justified in the sight of God through our Lord. Our sins have been paid for by his blood the curse of the law removed by the suffering of Christ the law has been fulfilled for us by his righteousness his keeping the law not only that, through this work of Christ, we can serve as priests and kings to God. This is what we are. Listen to how Jeremiah 33 puts this. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David my servant and the Levitical priests who minister to me. Now think about that language of Stars in the sky, sand on the she- seashore. What does that remind you of? What's well, the language God used when describing Abraham's offspring? It refers to believers. And that same language is used here in Jeremiah 33 to describe the priests and kings that God will, would multiply to serve him. What does that mean? It means that this promise by God raise up all these priests, to raise up all these kings, it's fulfilled in all believers. It's fulfilled in you. It's fulfilled in me. It's fulfilled in all of us who believe. We, as believers, are kings and priests in Christ. There will be as many of us as the stars in the skies, sand on the seashore. So now we serve our God, as priests. That means following the example of Christ in our lives. It means offering our bodies as living sacrifices. Think of Christ not holding on to his life, giving it up in service of others. It means putting on a servant attitude, a self-sacrificial mindset. It means giving up our lives to serve others for the glory of God. Being a priest also means putting on a lifestyle of holiness. Read through the book of Leviticus sometime. Can't help but be struck with the holiness of God as you read through Leviticus and how concerned God is about the holiness of the priests. So he's also concerned about our holiness. Serving as priests means to put on holiness, a refusal to participate in unholy things. As believers, we serve God as kings. That means aiming to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, faithfully carrying out the commandments of God. It means putting on an attitude of worship of God and God alone, removing idolatry. It means fighting against sin, being concerned about justice. means caring for the poor and needy. That's what God so often wanted the Old Testament kings to do. It means serving others in love as Christ served us. That's what defined the kingship of Christ. It was service. Service to God, service to others. He served others, and if this is what our king did for us, this is what we will do as well. Amen.